Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Do you obey scriptural truth or your natural instincts? Do you obey scriptural truth or your natural instincts? The false teachers, it says here, are guilty of doing just the opposite of what we're to do. They are driven by their natural instincts. It says in verse 12, But these, like natural beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they don't understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. So it compares them to just an animal that is driven by its instincts and in a wild, roaming way reacts to situations based upon the instincts of a natural response from an animal. So we could say they follow animalistic appetites. Haven't you noticed that we as humans can have appetites that are, are nothing better than the appetite of an animal. We, as humans, can almost appear like an animal more than a human at times when sin is driving our lifestyle and our reactions and interactions with others. So the picture here is they're, they're looking down on solid scriptural truth and they have an exaggerated view of the insights they have in Scripture. So it says they speak evil of the things they don't understand. For instance, outside the church, many false religions and some that try to press in and look Christian throw doubt upon the Word of God by having a separate source of revelation that they promote. And they're ignorant of the truth of God's Word. There are others that are misled within the church, whether from a pulpit or a conversation or a small group, that are believing what people say is in the Bible. They're taking their word for it rather than looking to God and taking His word for it. Because you can make the Bible say a lot of things that it's not actually saying by pulling things out of context, can't you? And so the question is, do you obey scriptural truth? Does that shape your life? Does that shape my life? Am I allowing the truth of Scripture to become true in my life as I live it out to where when I say I love and believe this book, it's true because I'm living what the book says. But they are going by their animal instincts, it says here, they are critical and 
condemning and looking down on things they don't understand, but it says they will be destroyed in their own corruption. Now just think about the irony here. People that degrade Christ by making him a a cosmic bellhop by whom we can get what we want, and claiming to be blessed by him. Think about how strange this is. They're claiming to be blessed by someone whom they blaspheme. There's no way. There's no way that one who blasphemes God can be blessed by God in exaggerated manners. But they're claiming to be blessed by the very one whom they blaspheme. They're walking into a deadly trap and they're taking others with them as the scene here. And they will be destroyed by, be destroyed by their own corruption. Now, it can be something as simple as this within a church because that's the heart of the passage here. It it begins by saying, and there will be false teachers even among you. We've talked about it. It doesn't have to be someone in an official place of authority. It can be someone in your life that influences you. But haven't you heard people say, even in the church, God gave us common sense. What does that mean? When they begin to play out that statement, what they're saying is God has given us the ability to take what he's given us and live without him. We don't have to consult him. We don't have to seek him. We don't have to pray. We don't have to fast. We don't have to search for God's will. God gave us common sense. You know what I found? Sometimes common sense can lead you out of the will of God. Now, he's not going to always get you to do something crazy. I'm not saying that at all. But his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts and his ways higher than our ways, the Scripture says. But I've heard people say, God gave you a brain, he expects you to use it. Well, I believe that. But he expects it to be sanctified by the Word of God. Not me just figuring it out and hoping to do what's best, but me trying to seek him to do what would be blessed by him. So it says they will come under the wages of unrighteousness. In the Net Bible it says, suffering harm as the wages of their harmful ways. Another way to put that, suffering harm as the wages of their harmful ways, uh, you see in that you reap what you sow. They are harmed by their harmful ways. They come under the corruption of their own minds and their works. They will be 
judged by God is the picture here. Then second question is this. Are you driven by self-denial or selfish desires? You see, we could look at that first question. I, I obey scriptural truth, but do I obey it all even when it calls for self-denial? Do I find myself driven by self-denial or selfish desires? Notice how it describes the false teachers. In verse 13, the second part, they are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, speaking of believers, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling or enticing unstable souls. So we could go into the details of the sins mentioned there. But I think better yet in applying this, it's talking about selfish, sinful desires, isn't it? A desire to entice people, a desire that's based upon lust, a desire that's hungering and thirsting for power. And they come in bringing stain and blemishes upon the people of God. That's the sense of the word used there. It's like the stain on a shirt. Have you ever noticed that you can have a garment that has one stain on it and you're reluctant to wear it? 99.9% of that garment is fine. But when you look at it, all you can see is the stain, right? And the reason we don't wear it is because we believe that's all anybody else could see. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying picture that when God looks at the church, if false teaching and false influencing is being tolerated, he's saying they're like stains and spots upon the, the bride of Christ, and he doesn't tolerate that, and he deplores that. And it must be dealt with. That's the, the picture here. That's the whole heart of Second Peter. It's like a stain on a clean shirt or a, a scratch on a tiny ring. They mar that celebration of coming together. Now, when it talks about them coming together in a feast Together, In some places it's referred to as a love feast. What that is referring to is the body of Christ in the New Testament would come together and they would share a common meal. That common meal would also involve the Lord's Supper, or some would call that communion. But the, the common meal was a love feast because those who were more wealthy within the church and had more access to delicacies of the day would treat others to that by, by bringing and sharing and giving among the people. And so those who were strangers to a big feast were able to come and be part of a good celebration and a meal together, which would also carry with it the celebration of the Lord's Supper. 
And so the scripture here is saying they've become stains upon that. They, they come not giving, seeking to get and to manipulate and to twist the truth and even began to affect the observance of the Lord's Supper. I want you to look at a passage with me in Luke chapter 9, the third gospel in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 9. It speaks about self-denial. That's a concept that is foreign from our culture, isn't it? Can you imagine that being our national slogan, deny yourself? That's not at all what we hear, is it? Express yourself. Good or bad, godly or ungodly, express yourself. Promote yourself. All kinds of other things like that. Instead of deny yourself, Jesus calls us to deny ourselves rather than being driven by selfish desires like the false teachers that are described. So let's look at Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me. Now one thing false teachers will do is they will try to help you understand how they are an exception to the rules. Things like this don't apply to them. But it says, if anyone. Anyone means? That means any and everyone. All are included. If anyone is going to come after Christ and follow him, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now, we've heard people misquote from this passage by saying, well, this is my cross to bear. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about uh, Deanne's husband. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's, it's denying yourself, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. Now, in our culture... The cross is a pretty friendly image in our minds at times. And uh, I haven't looked around, but there's probably people that have earrings that are crosses today. I'm, I'm not looking at anybody. You might have them on a, a chain around your neck. Uh, I used to have a pair of glasses that had crosses on the sides of them. Uh, sometimes that's a decorative thing for us, an expression of our faith in Christ that sets us apart from other religions and other false teaching. But in the New Testament, that would be like wearing a syringe around your neck. And it'd be very decorative, and, and it, it could even, you know, move or a, an electric chair around your neck. It would be almost repulsive, wouldn't it, if somebody said, hey, look at my lethal syringe I got. 
Or look at this electric chair. I can push a button back here and it sizzles. Makes that noise. That's the image the cross had. The cross wasn't reserved for kings. It was reserved for criminals. It was reserved for the worst of the worst of the worst. People were crucified where people could come and cast shame upon them because they were being humiliated and executed to warn others not to commit that crime. That's why it says in the New Testament that the Jews said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. It was a curse, not a blessing in people's minds because it was a place of horror and shame and execution and humiliation. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to say no to you, yes to me. You've got to pick up your cross. That means pick it up in a symbolic way and follow him wherever that takes you. And it probably, in that day, would take them to death. And it's taking people to death all around the globe today. Our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe are physically putting their life on the line to the extent that they would rather die for Jesus than live without him. But then it goes on. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what advantage or profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost. Now Jesus is using an exaggerated statement there, isn't he? There's no way that any of us could gain the whole world. But he's using that to say even if you could amass all the gold and silver, all of the fame and fortune of the world, what would that compare to losing your own soul? Jesus would say the life of a man does not consist in the things he possesses. But you put those statements up next to this false teaching described in 2 Peter, and that's exactly what is being promised. You can have what you want. You can possess what you desire. You can get what you long for, and God wants you to have it all. The reality is, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me because your life is not based on the things that you possess because even if you could possess it all, you've wasted everything and lost everything in eternity. And so it describes them as those who cannot cease from sin. They are out of control. They are proclaiming that they're living lives free from restraint. And all the while, they are slaves to sin. And it says they prey upon those who are unstable souls. Those who are not grounded in the Word of God. Those who are looking for an answer any and everywhere except in the right place. An unstable soul 
would be the opposite of the people to whom this letter is being written in 2 Peter. He's writing to people, he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, that are firmly established in the faith. Have you not found that false teaching is very, very attractive to unstable people spiritually? That are looking for an authority to follow or, or a, a human answer to life rather than what the Scripture says. That's what it's picturing here. It's an image that uh, carries with it the idea of baiting a hook or setting a trap for those that are unaware where those traps may be. So that's an important question for us to ask. In my life, am I denying myself or am I desiring selfish things at the expense of my faith in Christ? Are you driven by self-denial or selfish desires? Then thirdly and finally, are you a person of godly contentment or fleshly covetousness? Notice what it says at the end of verse 14. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. Now, I'm not anything near a Greek scholar, but this is fascinating. The word there for trained is the word that we get gymnasium from. It's gamazo, gamazo, gymnasium. It means to train in gymnastic discipline. It means to exercise, to strengthen and make strong. That word of exercising themselves in covetousness means they, they exercise and train to use it to their advantage. Just like anyone would train. Now, Deanna and I have made a monthly donation before to a local gym where we could have worked out, but it ended up not sounding so good after a while, and so we finally stopped making a monthly donation there. But someone who's serious about working out and, and that's the focus of their life, they are dedicated to that. They, they know what they're trying to do and what muscles they're trying to strengthen. It's, it's talking about someone that's that intentional about being covetous. It's not just that they see something that they don't have, they see something that they don't have, they want it so badly, they begin to train their mind and their motives and their will in a manner to get that from others. So these false teachers that teach you can get whatever you want, they're not about meeting your needs, they're about meeting their needs. They are trained in covetous practices, just like it says here in Scripture. Again, I want us to look at another passage that's parallel to this, or comes alongside this in 1 Timothy. So if you turn back just a few books in the Bible to 1 Timothy, the final chapter, chapter 6, 
you find a statement about this as well. Completely different setting in the New Testament world, but very similar things going on. The Apostle Paul has given Timothy some things to teach and build up the body of Christ with. And then he says in verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. And then he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now you see the picture there? He's saying people will twist beliefs about Jesus. They will twist the teaching of the apostles. They will not grab hold of the teaching that is according to godliness, but they will be proud. They will teach otherwise. They will have all these things going on. They're causing envy and strife. You know what one of the greatest motivations of giving to a false teacher is? Envy. They tout what they've got from God, and people envy that, and they want that too, so they'll do anything to follow that example. They're building that into their followers, aren't they? Creates disputes, arguments about words, all those things. But it says at the very end of verse 5, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Not pick out the good teaching, but if they are driven to use godliness to gain something, they are false teachers because he says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. The things the world says are gains are really losses, and the things that the world says are losses, God says our gains. Contentment with godliness is great gain. And then in the teaching of Jesus, if you look back at Matthew chapter 6, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 19 to 21. It says there in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now he's not saying... Jesus is not saying it's wrong to have possessions. He's saying it's wrong for possessions to have you. It's wrong to be possessed by your possessions. 
where they, they own you because he's talking about storing up for yourselves or laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, uh, living as if there's, there's nothing beyond this life. But he says the opposite of that is what we should do is lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where they are eternally secure for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if you put those teachings and overlay them on what is being said in Second Peter, it becomes pretty clear where their heart is, doesn't it? If they are well exercised in covetous practices, what does that mean? They are doing the opposite of what Jesus said. They're laying up treasures on this earth rather than treasures in heaven. They're doing the opposite of what the Apostle Paul said. They are seeking to find gain from things rather than finding gain and contentment from godliness. So a biblical believer is storing up treasures in heaven. They're making eternal investments in their own life and in the lives of their family and their friends. Whereas the false teachers are storing up self-destruction and judgment. So we are either a person of godly commitment or fleshly covetousness. It reflects our heart. It reflects the heart of false teachers and those who follow them. So there at the end of our passage today, it says, and they are accursed children. Let's kind of unpack what those two words are saying. Accursed children. Children is not speaking about young children. It's speaking about people that are the offspring or the child of someone else. There are different ways that is expressed in Scripture. You're either a a child of God or a child of Satan, Jesus taught. In the book of Ephesians, you're either a, a child of light or a child of darkness. Which category would children who are accursed fall into? Those are not children of God. The curse has been lifted from us through Jesus. When he was crucified on our behalf, the the curse was broken. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we enter into that established covenant with him based upon his blood and his sinfulness, not our goodness and our ability to believe or anything else, but based only on his goodness, we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And the curse is gone. That would be the last word that anyone should ever use to describe a child of God. But it is the first word that should be used of a child of Satan. They are accursed. You remember in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone teaches another gospel besides the one I have taught, either me or another prophet or an angel, let them be accursed. What does that mean? Cast into the deepest, darkest, hottest point of hell. Removed from any place of blessing or any 
presence of God around them, they are to be accursed. Here the picture is these false teachers are not being blessed by God, although that's what they are promoting themselves with. They are accursed children. So here's the reality. Those who, quote, judge the truth of God will ultimately be judged by the God of the truth that they thought they were judging. They are ignorant of the things they reject, it says, and at the end of this passage that we're looking at, they are accursed children. Now, as parents, are we not concerned about those whom our kids hang out with? I mean, I, want, I wanted my boys to be friendly and compassionate and helpful to everyone around them, but to be close and influenced by certain kids, I didn't have that desire. I was concerned about my boys being influenced by the wrong types of peers. Therefore, daily I would pray when I would take them to school, God, help them know the difference between right and wrong and help them to always choose what is right. I, I felt it that strongly. Well, if you are a child of God and you have been born into the kingdom, you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and you are God's child, the last thing he wants you to do is hang out and be influenced by accursed children of Satan. So why in the world would you even play with that? Because our ultimate desire and goal should be to please our Heavenly Father. And you can't please your Heavenly Father while you're being influenced by accursed children that are the opposite of the children of God. And so this is one of the strongest statements about false teachers. They are accursed. And why would a citizen of heaven want to befriend and fellowship with on a deep level and be influenced by a citizen of hell that's already under the condemnation of God because of the rejection of Christ, their denial of the word of God, and their blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Why in the world would we think it's okay to do that? And why would we give that shallow excuse? Well, when I'm with them or when I hear them teach, I feel so much better. Who's making you feel better? The enemy. Because he wants you to be with his kids as strongly as God doesn't want you to be hanging out with the cursed children, false teachers. That's why it's important that we answer those questions honestly and transparently to ourselves and not dabble in any false teaching because we are called to be biblical believers. And that's how you inoculate yourself from false teaching. You embrace the Word of God that reveals to us the Son of God and the will of God and the ways of God, and therefore you are 
able to detect the enemies of God and the fraud that claims to be from God. And you don't want to be with those who are coming under the judgment of God if you're really a child of God that will never come under that judgment because Christ took that for us on the cross. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.